You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast with Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Whether you're looking to laugh or looking for advice and inspiration, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast, everybody. If you are an Almost 30 Nation OG, welcome back. Thanks so much for listening again and again. You mean the world to us. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the damn party, y'all. Um, it's Linz, and I'm dealing with a severe sexy voice right now. Please, please bear with me. Um, Krista and I are so excited this week. We have on Christine Hassler. Christine Hasler. She's the best-selling author, keynote speaker, master coach, podcast, and TV host, and she is committed to guiding people and organizations into their highest potential. We talk about her successful job in Hollywood. Um, she was an agent. She had a quarter-life crisis where she lost everything. She lost her job. She lost a marriage, all her money, everything, and truly lost kind of sight of of who she was and where she wanted to go. And from that moment on, though it wasn't easy, wasn't that quick of a turnaround, she committed to her personal development, which is where three best-selling books have come from, as well as her podcast. Her business as a master coach comes from. So we are super inspired by Christine. We talk about it all. So if you are someone who... um worries a lot, obsesses a lot, is dealing with betrayal, is dealing with how to set boundaries uh, between you and other people, between you um, and maybe some energy that is not working uh, for your ultimate goal or good and how to really get over some shit. You know, we harp on a lot of things because that's what we're used to, or maybe that's what's comfortable to stay in that negative space. We become addicted to that low. Um, so we talk all about that as well as her books. My favorite, The Expectation Hangover. Uh, she also wrote the best-selling book, 20-something, 20-everything, 20 The 20-something 20 Manifesto. And she has the podcast on Podcast One Network called Over It and On With It, which is on my podcast docket. I love it so damn much. It's so inspiring. Exactly what I need every week. It's kind of crazy. So enjoy our conversation with Christine. She's so special. We are so honored to have her on the podcast. So thank you, Christine. Please let us know what you think. Join our secret Facebook group and share with us what you took away from this episode. All right, guys. Enjoy. I'd love to just take it back and talk a little bit about your transformation. So right now you're sitting in your light and you're such a boss. You're such an inspiration for many women. But I can imagine that there were situations, people, places, and things that brought you to this place where you can heal others. So I'd love to hear about your transformation that brought you to the place you are today. Oh, absolutely. Like if I could tell my 20-something self what my yes. life looks like now, mm. it'd probably be a lot more chill <laughs> because yes. I really believe that I had to figure everything out by like 30 or by some whatever age I thought I needed to figure everything out. At. And I think in our 20s, we think that there's like, it's finality, you know, mm -hmm. it's forever decisions. And it may not necessarily be that. I was a big overachiever that was mostly driven by massive insecurity. And I thought things that, 
you know, things outside of me, a job or the guy or losing the 10 pounds or having the right outfit or, you know, just mm-hmm. superficial external things were the things that were going to make me happy. And I followed all the rules. You know, I graduated from college. I got a job. I just check things off my list. But the one thing that I never really did was figure out who I was, mm-hmm. like separate of anything I did, separate of anything, I, who anybody I was with. And I had this awesome career in Hollywood. I was an agent. I was the youngest ever female agent. I was promoted by the time I was 25. And I had this fancy office and I was dating a big time movie producer, head of a movie studio. So between my job as a television agent and him, I was Oscars and Golden Globes and Emmys and private jets and money. And I was making so much money when I was like 24 or 25 years old. And I had it all like from the outside, but I was like still miserable on the inside and all the insecurity that I thought the job or the guy would fix, it was still there. And so when I was about mm, 20, maybe 26, I can't remember exactly, I ended up quitting my job because I thought that that was the thing that was, if I could change that, then I'd be happy. And I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I think like a lot of people, I thought if I just went and started my own business, that would make me happy. You know, I really wanted Mm -hmm. freedom. Mm-hmm. But again, I was chasing something external. Even if it felt more authentic, it was still external. So quit my job, and then in a period of, oh, six to eight months, I was in massive amounts of debt all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I was estranged from my family. I was diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder on top of being depressed. I was put on antidepressants when I was 11, so I was still on antidepressants and and depressed. I was a very functional depressed person, like Mm -hmm. I could be out in the world, but like my internal world was pretty dark. And then I got engaged, and six months before my wedding, my fiancé broke up with me, like like, out of nowhere, like dumped me. And he did it in a premarital counseling session. So, like, I got the counselor there for some support. So, you can imagine, I'm 26 years old, and I've lost my job, my money, my family, my health, and the love of my life, who I thought was my soulmate. It it was not fun. It really sucked. And I really hit this kind of low point in my life of really questioning, like, do I want to be here? You know, mm-hmm. do I want to be, like, on the planet anymore? Mm-hmm. And I realized people listening have been through worse. But for me, at the time, it was a pretty low point. And what happened in in that very dark moment was a bit of an awakening, kind of my first insight that's different from, like, an awareness or getting something intellectually, but the first time, like, I really got, like, in my bones that things were all happening for me, not to me. Mm. And what I also realized is that the common denominator in all the situations was me. So I could either look at it as I'm some big old victim or maybe I have something to do with all of this. Mm -hmm. And if I have something to do with creating all of it, maybe I can figure my way out of it. And so I basically made a pact or a vow with God, even though I wasn't particularly religious at the time. I'm I'm deeply spiritual now, but Mm -hmm. at the time, like, I was still very confused about spirituality. But I had been an agent, so I knew how to negotiate, so I made a deal with God, and I'm like, okay, God, like, if I figure my way out of this, I will dedicate my life to helping other people. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a couple days later, maybe even the next day, I can't recall exactly, that I woke up um, with the idea for my first book, 20-something, 20-everything. Wow, I feel like you've lived a lifetime. Like, I, like, <laughs> I knew that was just my twenties. 
Yeah, that's yeah, what literally. I mean. Like up until your 20s, I feel like you've lived a lifetime and almost like, thank God, I feel like it was like such, I think, you know, everything has to kind of fall apart sometimes in mm-hmm. order to oh, sure. to rebuild. And um, so wait, can, can we go back? You were put on antidepressants at age 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. wh- what what was that like for you? And and I know it's a different time now. Mm-hmm. Was it just something that you did because your parents were li- uh, listening to the doctor, well, or how did that feel? Yeah, I think it was what the not very early nineties. So it was mm. like that was what people did at yeah. that time, you know. And I uh, the other thing that was true for me is I, you know, I was very psychically open as a kid. Mm. I know that now. Mm. I didn't know what it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I've, you know, my, I, I've always been an empath. It's mm-hmm. a gift now. It's something I still have to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would feel other people's stuff and pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that as a little kid, I just couldn't process that. I mean, mm-hmm. none of us really can. We don't know how. And I, I, we, whenever something like that happens to us, whenever we have any kind of difficulty or trauma, Mm-hmm. We have to find some way to protect ourselves. And for most of us, we protect ourselves by putting on armor. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of women who've been sexually abused really hold on to weight. Mm-hmm. I actually just released a podcast about that. With Alyssa. Um, pardon me? With Alyssa, right? Yes, with Alyssa. Exactly. I want to talk about exactly. that one a little bit. That was so good. Yeah. But, you know, a, a lot of times women will hold on to weight mm-hmm. because the body like needs to do something to protect itself. Yeah. So for me, I just basically shut down mm-hmm. and shut off. And my parents saw their like outgoing, sweet little girl, you know, kind of shut off. And I was also having trouble with my peers. Like I, I just didn't feel like I belonged. There was some teasing. I, I just wasn't like everybody else. and didn't feel like I fit in and, and not feeling like you belong it's a really hard thing to feel, right? Mm-hmm. You just feel separate and you feel like, why don't people like me? And, oh, that's a tough one. So uh, I think it was a combination of all those things. And, you know, they listen my, They listen to the doctors. And I don't have any anger at my parents for that. Like, mm-hmm. they did the best they could. But the thing that's scary about and why I'm so passionate about educating people about their beliefs and how we really heal our body is that first you've got the medicine that mm-hmm. you're dealing with. But then you've got everything doctors are telling you. So I was told, Christine, you have a chemical imbalance and you will need to take drugs for the rest of your life. If you were diabetic, you would take insulin. So it got programmed in my mind that I have to have this. Mm. And so when I got off of them, when I was almost 30, I uh, really had to not only kind of shift my biology and, and work. I had to, I mean, it was not easy. People ask me all the time, how do you get off antidepressants? And it wasn't like, oh, I just weaned off of them and drank green juice. I mean, it's it's not like an easy thing. Well, I don't want to say it's not an easy thing to do because I don't want to intimidate people from doing it, but it's, it's something that you need a lot of support with, mm. a lot of people around you that know what they're doing, and you have to be super committed. And I couldn't have done it without my spiritual practice and without emotional release work mm-hmm. that I that I did. Um, but I also had to uncomb all those belief systems that um, are, you know, that, that dictate so much of our, our life and our health. And I think this is important for people in their 20s because, like, your 20s is this window of time to start unpacking everything that got programmed in your mm-hmm. childhood and adolescence that you don't want to carry with you into your adulthood. And I wish that we spent less time figuring out, oh, my God, what's my career? 
career for the rest of my life and who am I going to marry and I need to have a baby by 30 and more time going, okay, who am I? What are the beliefs that are truly mine? What do I need to reframe? What is, what is kind of the emotional baggage I need to heal? Like basically like clearing out anything you don't want to take in to the rest of your life in adulthood because as children, we don't really have choice or control about what gets programmed in our mind. You know, we're, we're so susceptible to our environment, our parents, our peers, all that kind of stuff. As adults, we have choice over that. But we have to be willing to go back and look at what we want to clean up from our past. And our 20s is a perfect time to do that because it's also the time when we, you know, may not have families of our own yet. You know, mm-hmm. we're not responsible for aging parents yet. We don't have, like, massive careers or companies yet. And so, and it doesn't take your whole 20s. But why I was so passionate about writing 20, 70, 20, everything is because, if we give it some time, then what an opportunity to live the rest of our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, not just reacting to our programming, but actually living and creating the life that we want to live. Yep. And to, and to that point, so the reacting to the programming, a lot of, can, can we talk a little bit more about that? So for the women listening, what is programming? Where does it come from? And then moving forward, how can someone in their 20s look to reprogram themselves so that they're not just, you know, living in a life that was chosen for them by their families or by friends or just by their past? Well, our programming is basically our beliefs, right? So anything that we believe. So, for example, if you grew up in a household where there wasn't, like, a lot of money, right, and people, your your parents really, really struggled with money, um, and they had to work really, 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 really hard to make money, then you have a belief and a program running that you have to work really, really hard to make money. Money equals security, and it's, it's hard to come by, right? So you might have financial issues. If you had a father who was a little emotionally unavailable and you only got a sliver of attention from him when you got a good grade, you have a program running about I'm only lovable or worthy when I do good. So you might be really addicted to success and approval and validation. Um, So those are some examples of these kind of programs that can put in our head. So you really want to look at, you know, how did you grow up? What were you told what were significant life events that happened and what were the belief systems that formed because of them? And, you know, really looking at what are the things that you believe about life that make life harder, right? So if I believe that, you know, dating is really hard and, you know, guys are flakes or whatever, then dating's going to be really hard for mm-hmm. me and that's what's going to show up because we create it with so many of our, our beliefs. So, you, you can tell the difference between, like, what's authentically true for you versus what's a program belief because it feels different. Like, mm. what's exactly true? Like, if I tune in here, we can all do it now. Like, I'm lovable. I'm worthy. I'm deserving. I'm enough. There's enough prosperity and abundance and love to go around. Like, mm. everybody's one. That feels like, oh, feels reassuring. It feels like a relief. But if, if you have a belief that triggers any kind of fear, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Is there going to be enough money? Am I going to get sick? So on and so forth. It, it triggers that feeling of fear and resistance. And it just like, to put it simply, doesn't feel good. And a lot of beliefs, you know, 
create anxiety. I think that the common complaint I hear most 20-something women complain of is I need to, I feel so anxious. How mm-hmm. do I manage my anxiety? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so much of that anxiety comes from believing BS beliefs that, that don't serve us anymore. I think that's so true. And especially I think our generation of women are are really creative and like and and willing yeah. to express that and I think being creative a lot of insecurities and judgment pop up even though it's such a gift and it's something right. that needs to be expressed I'm just speaking from both personal experience and just um, having close relationships with creative people like Krista like our listeners and um how do you how do you, in that business of creating, there's also a lot of rejection. How do you help your help the people that you're working with or how have you dealt with rejection in your past? Because I know you're in entertainment. I mean, that is like literally the business of rejection. Rejection land. <laughs> literally yeah. every day, you know, like I'm, you know, auditions, you just go in and you leave, like for me going in, doing my best and leaving, it's just a practice and, and I don't, truly think of it as rejection anymore, but that was a process. So what would you say to our listeners who are creative and really putting themselves out there and um, getting rejected on the regular? Yeah, well, rejection is one of those things. Um, the last book I wrote is called Expectation Hangover. And yes. One of the things love. I teach in there is, oh, thank you. <laughs> I love it too. It helped me navigate. So my third, in my early, when I was 31, I got divorced and that book was my way out of that. It's not just about divorce. It's about any time, you know, things don't go according to your plans. Yeah. Voila, expectation hangover. But one of the things that I write about in there is these avoidance traps and how I've seen so many people, including myself, talk about what they want, but spend way more time and energy avoiding what they don't want. Mm. So rejection is one of those traps. It's like, you know, we say we want to be an actor. We say we want to start our business. We say we want love. But we spend a lot of time and energy focusing on, like, avoiding rejection in any way that we can because it's so, so, so painful. So how we kind of get out of those traps is, first of all, with rejection in in particular, is to realize that what, what rejection is teaching us is it's really about how we outsource our self-worth. Right, because rejection only hurts when we take it personally. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. And if we don't take it personally, then we're really never rejected. If we can really go, okay, well, okay, so I'm going to approach this from two angles because I'm going to approach it kind of looking at it spiritually, but I also want to look at it with taking some responsibility as co-creators because sometimes if we approach things too spiritual, we can slip into spiritual bypass and forget that we're co-creators. So let's look at it kind of spiritually first and say, okay, rejection is God's protection. Sometimes getting rejected from someone is protecting us. Like it's it's God looking out for us of like, this wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. There's something better. Or for whatever reason, this wasn't for you. And we can really relax in that if we know that we really gave it our all, that we went in there with a positive expectation, with high intention and involvement, but low attachment. And that we really went in there with confidence too, because we can't give it our all when we like work, work, work really, really, really hard, but inside we still feel unworthy. That's not giving it our all. We can't just give it our all on the external level, but not internally do our work to feel confident and worthy. Does that make sense? Yes. 
Okay. So to give it your all, you've got to show up externally, play 100%, internally know you're confident and worthy, and then if it doesn't happen, then truly it is protection. It wasn't for you. Mm. Something better is coming. This wasn't a fit. This wasn't an alignment. Now, where I am cautious about, you know, people going into spiritual bypass is when they keep manifesting rejection and go, oh, well, wasn't for me. Oh, well, the next best thing without looking at, okay, I seem to keep getting rejected. <laughs> Maybe I need to look at my beliefs, my inner dialogue, where I'm creating this because energetically there's something not working. I had a woman come to one of my retreats and she's a dancer and she's an amazing dancer and she just kept getting no's and kept getting no's. And so I worked with her in the retreat and I had her show me how she walked in an audition and she walked in the audition and everybody was like, and she did a little dance and everybody was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I can't see why you're not getting, why are you not getting booked? And then I said, okay, now go back and this time walk in and you can do the same movements, but talk out loud your internal commentary. What are you saying to yourself while you're dancing? And it was something like this. Oh my gosh, I hope I get this. Oh, I don't think this casting director likes me. Oh, I feel a little fat today. Oh, I I should have gotten that move better. Like her whole dialogue was fear-based and critical. Mm. So even though she was dancing beautifully, internally what was going on was not beautiful. (laughs) And so we worked with that and we really worked with getting her positive self-talk back and she worked with it at the retreat and we got, she posted on our Facebook page for the retreat two days later that she got a regular gig on a cruise ship as a dancer like three days after the retreat, um, which was like her dream job. Amazing. So, So sometimes we need to look at rejection and not beat ourselves up, but go, huh, be curious, huh, okay. I seem to keep getting no's. Mm. What do I need to look at here? And sometimes it's external. You know, sometimes we need a coach or an acting coach or we need to work with our speech or we need some feedback. And and that's okay. We're supposed to learn and grow. I think that we have such a hard time growing and asking for help sometimes mm. because we do it with such such an inner critic running and such like I'm doing something wrong versus this is really important to me and I want to get better at it. I mean, I have had a coach since I was 21 years old and I will always have a coach and I'm like a master coach, but I still will always have a coach because I still have my blind spots. I still struggle. I still go through stuff and I still need help. And so let's, let's be willing to get quote unquote better, but not from the place of there's something wrong with me. Mm but more from the place of, I just want to learn and grow and keep getting more amazing. Yeah, it's so true. And it's hard, I think, as women too. You know, we're put in a spot where we're compared to men. We're also compared to other women. And we don't take the time to listen to that internal dialogue. So I think that's really effective. We kind of just focus on the outside. Why do I not look like her? Well, maybe it's that I don't have this or I'm not, you know what I mean? So I think that internal dialogue is something that I and I'm sure other people can pay attention to a little bit more. Because when you said spiritual bypass, that kind of struck me because it's a thing that people say that, you know... uh, (laughs) You know, it's not meant for me. Oh, it's okay. You know, when it's meant to be, it'll be. And 
that always bothered me and I didn't know why. You know, I, I've said it before, but I was saying it, I think, just because I've heard it. So um, I think being active in that um, rejection, staying positive and knowing your worth, but being active in it is really effective. And I wanted to ask, so I want to talk to you, Christine, about I feel like a lot of women in their 20s and their 30s are kind of still in the phase of doing a lot of people pleasing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I would love to talk to you about that, um, talking about people pleasing, how people can shift out of it and more into their own. Okay, so people pleasing is toxic. Definitely something to shake off. So the, the thing that really helped me most with people pleasing is understanding that it's actually selfish. Because mm. we think that people-pleasing is all about other people, right? And that we're so wonderful that we're a people-pleaser and we're adjusting to other people or making everybody happy. But really, people-pleasing is about us. Mm. So if I want to please you, then it's really because I care about what you think. Yep. I, want you to I want you to like me. I don't want to uh, have any confrontation because I'm uncomfortable with confrontation. So I'd rather just please you than have any confrontation at all. And, and it, so it's, it kind of is about me. It's about being liked. It's about being protecting myself, so on and so forth. It's really not about truly coming from a place of love and concern for another. And the thing about people-pleasing is that it will create resentment because if you please and please and please and please, eventually you're going to feel like a doormat. Mm. Eventually you're going to feel like no one's pleasing you. And people are going to get used to you being a yes person and a people pleaser. And you're going to feel taken advantage of and mad at them. But really, like, you kind of set it up that way. And so what I really focus on is, is being authentic, being honest, being loving, being kind, but having your boundaries. You know, I, if I was having a party and you were really sick or you had a bad day or you have social anxiety and you just really didn't want to come, I'd rather you say, hey, Christine, I just can't make it than think that you're going to please me by coming, be afraid to say no, and come with, like, nervous energy or not wanting to be their energy. Mm. I think a lot of times we think we're pleasing somebody by sacrificing our own truth, but if we really think about it, are we really doing the loving thing if we're not being authentic? From my point of view, yeah. no. And in setting boundaries and having honest communication, you have to be willing to upset some people. You know, not I've had challenging situations in some of my relationships because when I've drawn boundaries, the other person hasn't really liked it. Yeah. People ask me a lot, how do you draw boundaries? Well, I, I, there's no way... That, there's no way to do it with a 100% guarantee that the other person's going to be like, oh, I totally understand and respect mm. your boundaries. That is so emotionally healthy of you, yeah. and I'm not triggered at all. Most people, when you set a boundary with them, when you haven't had one before, yep. or you've been a people pleaser, and then all of a sudden you start speaking your truth, they're going to be like, what, 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 what? It's going to take them a second mm. to adjust. And so it's okay if other people are upset. I'm not saying they'll be a jerk. But sometimes when we speak our truth and sometimes when we're honest, other people don't like it. They yeah. may get upset. But that's better to bring to the surface and work out in the relationship than to be inauthentic, to basically lie, and to build resentment. That's not, that's not love. Mm. And that's really not how to have healthy relationships. And the final thing I'll say kind of on the career front, you know, I feel like millennial women get a really – millennials get a bad rap in general. 
about being entitled and narcissistic and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And I, you know, I speak a lot on millennials and I'm always like championing millennials, especially millennial women. Cause I think millennial women are like badass. Me too. Hardworking. Like my whole, yeah, exactly. My whole, my whole team, except for our one guy are all millennial women. And I'm like rock millennial women. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that I do see a lot of millennial women do in the workforce is the people pleaser thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and how that can look is, let's say that someone gives you an assignment or there's something discussed in a meeting and you kind of, you don't understand it completely or you have a question or you want to speak up, but you're afraid of like upsetting someone or not looking right, that you don't. That's dangerous to do mm-hmm. in your career. It's so important to start speaking up and to start asking questions. And if you feel like someone's kind of taking advantage of you or dumping their work on you, to nip it in the bud soon and know that being a people pleaser is not what's going to advance your career or your life. Being honest, being truth, being really great at what you do, being someone that someone can rely on, having integrity, all those things, very important. People pleasing no, you got to rip that bandaid off. And I also think people pleasing creates bad habits in other people too. Like those people that yeah. are going to take advantage of yeah. you. Totally. So yeah, like you said, it's not doing them any service. I find it challenging with the people pleasing because it is when I do set a boundary, I do feel like a little resistance whenever mm-hmm. that happens from the person. So oftentimes I'm like, well, I don't want to feel the resistance of the boundary that I set. So I'll just go along with it. But I think for me, a takeaway too is to be more forgiving of people when they set boundaries for me. Like I've had a situation last week happen where someone kind of set a boundary that surprised me. I was a little like taken aback. I was like, okay, I like, I recognize this as a boundary. And for me to be more forgiving and understanding of it kind of like starts the circle of others being more forgiving and understanding of any boundaries Mm -hmm. that I set, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> perfect. I love that one. Yeah. So I was just good. thinking about your path, Christine, and how um, unique it was. So when you're 24, you're making so much money. You have this whole situation happen, this dismantling in your life. How would, how do women or how can women use um, their life's journey to figure out their calling or their career passions? Well, I mean, sometimes those two things go hand in hand. Sometimes they don't, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and our calling doesn't always translate to a career passion. Like, I think that for a lot of people, they have a job that they like and they love the people they work with and it's a great job and a pleasant place and it's not like, oh my God, this is my life's work. Maybe my life's work is in having kids or being an artist or having doing charity work on the side, like whatever it may be. So I think that um, that's sort of the the myth that I like to help to bust is, mm. is I think that there's so much pressure that your career has to be like your life purpose. And if you're not making massive impact and have this great company, then you're failing somehow. And that's not true. Like really our purpose on the planet is to learn and grow and to be more loving tomorrow than we were today mm. and to evolve our consciousness and to heal our old wounds and to break generational patterns. You know, if, if more and more and more people heal their own stuff. It's like we uplift the consciousness of the planet and we're living in a time where the only way that things are going to change on a global massive level is if more and more people keep waking up and you don't have to write a book to do that. You just waking up in your own life, it will give other people around you more access to it. You know, so many people that are in my tribe that are on the personal growth path that don't work in this field at all their friends and family have seen them shift 
and they start becoming curious. They start asking, you know, what did you read or what was that workshop you went to or who is that coach you listened to? And we, we impact people the most by how we are, not by what we say or what we do. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who's like, I don't feel like I have a career that's a purpose. That's okay. Like you're not off track. Now, I don't think that you should be in a job that you hate, that you're miserable in. There's definitely ways to find jobs that are pleasant to work in, um, that don't deplete you and aren't toxic, but don't think that you have to like, you know, have this big global impact to make a difference. Uh, but if that's what you're about and that's what you're up to, you have a big mission, then more power to you there. So I think it's really getting clear about, you know, what's true for you, like really what's true for you. And I was just talking to a woman, you know, I guess she was like 28 and she, like, she really, really wants to be a mom, but she's like, but I feel like I can't just be a mom. Like my generation of women that's looked down upon. Mm. I was like, well, that might just be a story in your head. Yeah. And oh my gosh, being a mom, talk about changing the consciousness of the planet. Like, you know, so many times people come to me or call in for coaching on the podcast, it has to do with how they were parented. Yeah. So if more conscious people become parents, that's a really great thing. So let's just stop minimizing, like, our role in the world. Because I think that there is a lot of pressure on the millennial generation to have these big, massive, impactful, you know, social media-worthy brands um, as a career. And, and unless you do that, you don't matter. And that is just absolutely not true. Mm. matter, no matter what you do. Um, but to answer your question, because I don't know that I necessarily <laughs> did, <laughs> um, I think that it's, it's first it's about really looking at like what your zone of genius is and like what your secret sauce is and mm. how I define your secret sauce are just your unique gifts, like the things that just come naturally to you, the things that, yeah. you know, you don't really have to think much about like you, you can, it's like not hard for you to decorate. I am not a good decorator. Or it's not hard for you to cook or it's not hard for you to talk to people or meet new people or, you know, we all have like our zone of genius of just the gifts that come naturally to us. And we often minimize them because they come so naturally to us that we forget that, Oh wow, this is, this is really a gift. So those simple things um, that come naturally to you. And then your life experiences, you know, what are the particular life experiences that you've had that have taught you something? Um, maybe you were raised by a single mom. Maybe you had a health condition. Maybe you were teased. Maybe you struggled with body image and eating disorders. You know, maybe you lost the love of your life at a young age or something like that. We all have our different life experiences that are better training than any degree and looking at those life experiences and what you learned from those and what you could, how you could possibly serve other people through, through that. And then, and then look at your skill set. Just look at the things that you're really good at doing skill wise. Like, are you a great writer? Are you great with technology? Are you a great artist? Like what are kind of those, those skills that could translate into some kind of career or job? And then finally, like just what lights you up? What are you super interested in? It may not be something you have experience in right now, but what is something you're super interested in? Like, for example, for me, you know, I started the Life Coaching Podcast uh, a year and a half ago, and I always just, like, loved listening to, like, talk radio call and advice shows. Like, it always just lit me up. And I had no experience doing it. I didn't know how, but it was, like, a massive interest to me. So that was something I wanted to explore. So when you look at the convergence of, you know, your unique gifts, 
your life experiences, your skills, and your interests, then you start to get clear about what a job or what a career path may look like. And then it's just research and investigation. It's doing informational interviews. It's working for other people that are doing something similar to what you want. It's being willing to try things and quote unquote fail Mm -hmm. to see how they do. Um, And often the career path is a process of elimination versus a process of direct clarity. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. In reading Expectation Hangover, you define passion in such a way that kind of helps us understand our path towards whether it's a career or a calling. Could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah. So passion is actually the original definition of the word passion is suffering. Mm. It comes from the passion of the Christ. And what I think is so beautiful about that is we've evolved the word passion over time to mean the thing we love. And often it is our own suffering that leads to discovering what we love to do. You know, it, it, it has been my own suffering. You know, the childhood stuff, the depression, the career angst, the broken hearts, financial debt, the family stuff, all that kind of stuff. That has led to my, the greatest love of my life, which mm-hmm. is personal transformation and the, up, the up-leveling of consciousness and, and growth and healing. So it's been, it, I had to have my own suffering to discover all those things. And so that's what I think is so beautiful about the word. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And as just um, a last few questions, I wanted to talk to you about something you and Lori were talking about on her podcast. Um, and for our listeners, it's the Lori, it's Lori Harder's Earn Your Happy podcast. We'll we'll link up the episode with um, Christine in the show notes. But I loved when you guys got into the conversation about the masculine and the feminine energies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that quite often. And I think about um, my relationship with the two and kind of navigating them both. And I think a lot of the points you made about being more in the masculine when you're kind of forcing things and kind of going, going, going is something that I do often. And I think a lot of the women who feel like they need to do that much to achieve or become what they want to become. Um, But I'd love for you to talk about the relationship between masculine and feminine energies and sort of how we can balance both of those or even debunking that one is better than the other? Well, we all have masculine and feminine inside of us, Mm -hmm. no matter what gender we are. Usually, women are more dominant in feminine energy and usually masculine or men are more dominant in masculine. But I have met women who really have a more core masculine energy and I have met men who have more core feminine energy. Um, But generally speaking, you know, women tend to lean more towards feminine, men lean more towards masculine, but we have both inside. But what I mean by we tend more towards is we feel more balanced when we lead from that place. So as women, we're going to feel more calm, more balanced, more creative. Our hormones are going to be more regulated. We're not going to be blowing out our thyroid because our cortisol levels are up when we are more in our feminine. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions Mm. about feminine. People think feminine means, um, well, I, you know, wear flowy dresses and I call myself goddess and I go to yoga and I take baths. (laughs) Call myself goddess is, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) Um, But that's like not feminine. Feminine is powerful. Mm. It's all about being in our creativity and our intuition and our empowerment and our receptivity. Mm. Yeah, I feel like sometimes people think feminine, they think um, 
like sexual. You know, they think of it right. in like the sexual way and not the powerful creative way. Or just right. care, caretaker. Right. Mm-hmm. Weak, yeah. Right. And, and, and actually one of the shadows of the feminine is using kind of that tempter sexual energy to get things or to define our worth or whatever. So mm. our sexual energy, I mean, that's very feminine and, and sensuality is a very feminine thing. And that's an important part to be connected to, but for ourselves to really let our, our feminine energy flow and let it be a life force rather than something we're using to get attention or something we're using to get something or something we're using mm-hmm. to be worthy. I think we, we attach like our looks to our sexuality way too much. Mm-hmm. That's very surface level kindergarten sexuality. Mm-hmm. Deep sexuality and femininity is really being comfortable in your own skin, comfortable in your own body, enjoying your own body. We're, we're here to enjoy our own body more than anyone else is here to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a huge part of the feminine too. And where I see women get really tripped up with the feminine is we don't trust it. We think that we have to control and plan and drive and make things happen. That's the masculine. The masculine plans, drives, makes things happen. It's about power, not surrender. Feminine's about surrender. Mm. So the way you want to think about this for the women is, so for me, like, I definitely have masculine energy. I wouldn't have been able to build what I built without using my masculine. In the past, my masculine led everything from my business to dating. Like in dating, I would, if the guy hadn't made a restaurant reservation, you know, by the day before, I would just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm masculine. raising my hand, girl. I feel yeah, you. Just, just controlling it or like, mm-hmm. you know, wanting him to be masculine, but leading and making decisions and like not letting him make the decisions. Yep. So what now, how, how I balance the energies inside of me is I really let my feminine lead. So I tap into my feminine energy for all my ideas. I really listen to my intuition. I listen to my body. And then my masculine responds to my feminine directives. Hmm. So I basically reversed it. Well, I didn't really have much of the feminine in there in the first place. I still use my masculine, but it's in response to what I'm intuitively guided toward. And then... Anytime my, you know, my feminine energy feels frazzled, I feel like I'm doing too much, I have to stop. Like right now I'm in a period where I'm going to take the next four days off and like not be on my computer at all Mm. because like I can feel my feminine energy and my nervous system and my body be like, whoa, we've been in way too much doing. We need to like stop and drop in and get our next steps because I've just been in a pattern of reacting and that's very much the masculine energy, just react and respond, react and respond, react and respond instead of just stopping, getting quiet, listening, and then seeing what wants to unfold. Mm. And that's where trust comes in and that's where women, we want to know now, we don't like uncertainty, we're a little impatient Mm -hmm. and we we just want it now, 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 now. But that's not the way the feminine works. There's, there's flow to it. <laughs> like the ocean, you can't control the waves. Mm. You just kind of have to wait for the next one. And I think this is important in communication with men too because, you know, I think a lot of times women expect men to respond and react and understand them like other women do, like our girlfriends do. Yeah. And 
that just doesn't always happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really understanding that the male and the female brain are very, very different. And having our girlfriends that we can talk to and not expecting men to act like that. And if you want, you know, a masculine man, you know, then you've got to get out of your masculinity and let him lead and not think that that's passive. That's, that's I think, one of the misunderstandings of the feminine is that mm. being in the receptive role is not passive. It's wonderful. Like whenever I travel and I see a man offer to help a woman with a suitcase and she says no, I just am like, oh, lady, you're ruining it for the rest of us. No. Like, <laughs> say yes, say yes. Like, yeah. I believe in equality, but mm. I also think that there's some beauty to gender roles. Like, mm. can't that be okay? Can't we be different? Can't we have some some play and some dance and, and let men be men and women be women in, in different ways? Yes, mm. like, let's all have equal opportunity and be able to make the same amount of money and so on and so forth. But if a man wants to help me with my luggage, that doesn't mean I'm weak. Sure, I could lift mm. it up there myself. But how wonderful that someone's offering. And so it's just being able to receive that and, and understand that men, you know, when I really understood that men are pretty simple in a lot of ways, and when we communicate clearly what we need instead of mm-hmm. expecting them to be mind readers, both in our romantic relationships, professional relationships, mm-hmm. relationships with our fathers, so on and so forth, when we really say to a man, this is what I need, and when you do this, it provides me with X, Y, Z. And I'm not talking about doing this when you're in an upset and you're in an argument and you're yelling at them, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. It's like communicating clearly, this is what I need, here's what it provides me with. You know, this is so much of um, work that I've learned from Alison Armstrong. She teaches wonderful programs about masculine feminine dynamics. Mm-hmm. And she, one thing she teaches is the words need and provide. And as women, we think that like we're weak if we use words like this, but... The way it shows up in the masculine brain is, oh, she's giving me the instruction manual of how to fix this because the masculine like to fix things. Mm. And sometimes that can be frustrating for us because we talk to a man and all he does is give us advice when we just want him to listen. So if that's the case, if you're about to go talk to your father or boyfriend or whoever and you just need to vent, just say, I don't want advice. I don't need you to say anything. I just need you to sit here and listen. Can mm. you do that? Men do very well with instructions. Yep. So if you want to be less frustrated in your relationships with men, be a better communicator. Mm-hmm. And don't have them guessing. Like I've always, my poor boyfriends, I've been just like giving them manuals since I can remember. You know, I've been always, that's one thing my mom instilled in me is being super clear and being super honest about what you want and what you're looking for. And the man in my situation growing up was my father and he responded very well to like very clear directions. So I've always been Mm. and seen the power of being open and honest with men about what you want and what you're looking for. And I feel like that's always been, yeah, it's always been such a benefit to me, you know, just even up front when I'm dating, you know, I'm looking for this or I want this. And it's not, it does feel in my, it does feel or seem or come off a little masculine to say up front what you're looking for and what you want, but it feels so much better when someone can step up to the plate and actually give you back what you're looking for. You know, as a man, yeah. it's an empowering feeling to be able to fulfill a need that you're very clearly saying that you have. And I think it depends on the energy. If you're coming mm-hmm. in there, you know, like, this is what I need, this is my list, blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. You know, that's different than... Being in your feminine energy and being flirty with it and just yeah. being like, you know, this is, this is what, it just, there's, a, there's an energetic to it. And if you can be in more of that flirty, feminine, energetic, then, you know, 
you're just going to have an easier time with it. I feel like I felt you getting a little flirty there, Christine. Your <laughs> smile. Like, I felt like a yeah. little smile there. I was like, oh, she's getting flirty. My, my hips were moving a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. I felt it. I was like, woo, we are in our feminine right now. Right. <laughs> I love that. And I'm sitting on the other side of it. Like, I, I feel like only recently have I um, asked for what I want in relationships and, and unapolog- unapologetically asking for what I want because I think for so many years I just did like a little dance so I would maybe um, hint at what I wanted and see how they would react and then from there it would be just really vague and and disagreements and arguments and um, distance would grow between us so I'm only learning now I guess better late than never but I do I do feel like there is a strong masculine energy running through me so I'm still like a little bit hesitant when I ask for what I want mm-hmm. because I do I do want to say it as soon as possible, you know what I mean? I, I do want to be honest, but that does come across very strong. And I don't think a lot of men know how to process that. Yes, they like instruction, but mm-hmm. in my experience, maybe I'm choosing the boys, but um, they just aren't ready for for that, like, that clarity. I think it's also... <laughs> yeah, well, here's, here's the thing. Clarity. You don't, like, it's instruction on, like, how to... Um, like if if something's really up or you yeah. need them to do something, that's that's when the instruction. But you don't want to sit with someone when you're first dating and be like, "Here's what you need to do to be with me." Because <laughs> they're going to be like, oh "Totally." My God. I think for for me, it's like I just I'll be really honest. I'll just say like I really like love spending time with you. You know what I mean? Just really honest yeah. up front, and even those things being really honest like that can push people away. So that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out now. I know there will be someone who won't feel that that's intensity bizarre. and run away. But and also keep in mind that, you know, I don't know the age of men you're dating, but um, like 60. I mean, men in their 20s and, and 30s, they, okay, first of all, the millennial generation was way overparented by far. Mm, um, yo, and that so is the truth. there's like, guys just don't know, uh, you know, they don't have a lot. They don't have a real take charge attitude, and there's a major Peter Pan syndrome going on. Mm. And if you haven't noticed, we live in a time where it is the rise of the feminine. I mean, this, mm-hmm. we had the feminist movement in the you know uh, whatever decade that was, the 50s, 60s, 70s. I think it's it's the late 50s, 60s, 70s is when it really kind of took charge. Um, but now we're in really just the 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 feminine like upliftment and evolution of women really stepping into their power. Mm. And I think the masculine and men are just a little confused. Mm-hmm. They're just like, who are we? Like the masculine you know, paradigm has really been shifting and I don't think they know yet where they fit in. So, so they don't patient. fit in. We're done um, with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just know that they're like, you know, they're, they're kind of um, still figuring it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, with ladies, like, if you want men to stop ghosting and, you know, having sex and never hearing them from you again, hearing from them again, or you've got to stop, like, tolerating that kind of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to stop sleeping with a guy on a first date because you think you should. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, giving somebody another chance where you feel disrespected. Like, like the reason that happens is because women keep tolerating it. So mm-hmm. you want to change it. Yeah. Stop tolerating it. That's the truth. Obsessed with that. Yeah. 
Okay, Christine, what are you excited about for this year? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited because I moved out of LA. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I moved um, to Encinitas, which is North County, San Diego, and I live on the ocean, which is yeah, girl. So I'm like super, super, super happy down here. Even though I moved, and then I three weeks after I moved, I got that TV show that shot up in LA. So I was driving back to LA once a week. I'm like, wait a second, I lived here 16 years. Um, so I felt I felt very unsettled and ungrounded for the past four months. And so I'm really looking forward to just being here. Um, and then I've got my retreat in Bali that I do every year in September. And then I go to Australia to teach, which I love. And um, personally, you know, I really feel like I'm going to, I mentioned I was divorced and um, I'm single now. I really feel like I'm going to meet my partner this year. And he feels like he's going to be pretty amazing and awesome. So oh. I'm looking forward to that. Hell oh, yes. Yeah. So you've got that. your space by the beach. You have your beautiful abode. And you're now ready. you're ready for the man. I'm obsessed with exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. He is going to be <laughs> super special. So wherever he is, I I don't know. What we, he, we must know about him because yeah. he must be incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. I hope so. Yeah. Amazing. Love that, Christine. Thank you so much for being here. And where can people find you on social media, website, all that stuff? Uh, Christine Hassler. Great. My favorite one's Instagram, Facebook's Christine Hassler, and then website's Christine Hassler. Wonderful. Perfect. Across all socials. Get it, girl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Easy, right? Thank God. Um, All right. Well, have a wonderful weekend. We're so grateful. So grateful. Um, And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for such a great interview, you guys. Thank you for your patience on the rescheduling. Anytime. Anytime, girl. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Almost 30 podcast. We love you guys so much. Your support means the world to us. Please join our secret Facebook group on Facebook. Just search secret Almost 30 podcast group. We cannot wait for you to be in there chatting with us. Uh, And also please go to patreon.com slash almost 30. And on our Patreon page, we have options. You can donate $2, $5, $10 or more a month and receive awesome rewards. So we're going to be holding some Google Hangouts. We have our Almost 30 dad hat, which people across the country, across the world are wearing (laughs) and extra episodes. So check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash almost 30. And finally, if you haven't reviewed the podcast, it really means everything to us that you review on iTunes. It helps us bring on even more guests that you love and you want and um, bring you more sponsors where you can get awesome promo codes for products that we truly believe in and we truly believe you would benefit from. So we love you. Thank you so much for your support. See you soon.